The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Nice to see everybody tonight. Nice to have the beautiful rain and thunder. So we do have small group meetings tonight from around 8.30 to 9, and uh, we ask people to stay for those. It's not an optional thing. If you're part of the group, Buddhist studies group, then we stay for the small groups. And we're kind of getting into the thick of our class on the refuges. And uh, you probably have noticed that I've avoided, for the most part, using um, a lot of the traditional language around refuge in the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, like we chant at the beginning. Just uh, in the spirit of taking a fresh look, a direct look, maybe even say a personal look at what in the mind is a refuge or in our experience is a refuge. And then tonight in the sit, and you can explore this in your sitting practice this week, to really uh, strip away the words, to some degree at least, so that it's more of a direct exploration. Like, is there something of value in the mind or the heart opening, connecting with uh, what we call the present moment, with this? Is there some intuition or some experience that you've had as a human being that somehow has taught the mind, encouraged the mind that there's something here to open to, something here to see or realize, something good, something beautiful, something healing, something peaceful? that's, in a sense, freely given. You don't need to be good or better. You don't need a special secret key or, you know, mantra or you don't need to jump through hoops. In a way, all that's required is interest and persistence. Like knowing what to be interested in And the thing about refuge, when we're honest with ourselves, we want, we only are interested actually in a refuge that's here and now. On some level, we are all so exhausted and have been betrayed by refuges that are around the corner or later or, you know, when you really deserve it, then you get, right? And so we're really ready for something that's here and now, that's available here and now, freely given, not holding back. And then, you know, it's, it's like, uh, this is a good thing just to check in with at the beginning of a formal sitting time. Like, do we have that kind of 
attitude or relationship to the present moment that we would have, you know, some of you have gone on these dates where you, you know, using some dating app and you're really looking for a partner, somebody that will make you happy, fix your life or something like that. You know, and there's like a real interest. You know, you go to meet the person and you're like, you're really awake. You know, maybe this is the one or new job or a new place to live or a new meditation center or, you know, whatever it might be. We bring a really uh, kind of like, well, let's see. Let's see what this is. Maybe this is the place. And the, the interesting thing is, you know, do we have that kind of vivid, open interest in the present moment? Like, do we, or are we pretty clear that it's not going to deliver? Because if we have, uh, in that article I sent out last week, I'm not sure how many of you read it, Faith in Awakening by um, Tani Sarobiku, this wonderful Buddhist monk and translator and meditation teacher, the abbot of the monastery Wat Metta, uh, outside of San Diego. And in that, uh, that article, Faith in Awakening, um, he talks about how some things can, we can confirm the faith just through observation. You know, rain, rain is wet. You know, we can just like, oh yeah, you know, it falls on you, and, and yes, indeed, it's it's wet. But some things can't be confirmed without action, without engagement, without persistence. Like that the present moment has something to teach, something to reveal. That requires, like, cultivating the interest and the persistence. It requires a lot of overcoming of habits of distraction and superficiality and you know, all the patterns, habits of mind. So we'll never learn something. We'll never know whether the present moment, the continuity of awareness, whether the resolution of all of our existential angst is actually here we can't think our way to faith or to liberation. We actually have to persist. And we only know whether it was worthy of our faith if we undertake the work. Right? So some things in life, it's like we won't know. I mean, this is kind of the point of faith. Maybe you remember, I, I wish I could remember the whole story, but Joseph Campbell and those famous interviews he had with uh, Bill Moyers um, and eventually got, it got turned into a book, The Power of Myth, I think it was called. Some of you probably have seen the book, but it was really a, a wonderful set of interviews that I'm guessing are online somewhere. You could watch Power of Myth. And in that, Joseph Campbell, this uh, person who studied myths, professor, um, he tells a story of, I think, be, being in some health club in 
New York State or wherever he lived, and there was a Catholic priest there that I think was his friend, and maybe they were in the sauna, and they were talking about faith or something like that. And um, the priest asked Joseph something about, you know, do you believe, you know, in something or other God or... And uh, the point, I, I don't know enough of the exact conversation, but the, the point that Joseph made to this priest was, what's the point of faith, right? The point of faith is this engagement without certainty, right? That's, that's why we call it faith or confidence. Or, like, it's, I don't know, but I'm going to persist. I'm going to engage this process. You know, in Buddhism, we call it the awakening process. We take the teachings. We listen to the teachings from the Buddha. We do our best to sort of make sense of these teachings that have been passed down, probably passed down imperfectly, right, over these 2,500 years. So we're trying to get a sense like, What's the institutional dogma and what's the voice of this really wise person and how to, you know, sort of check it out in our own experience and try to get a sense of what, what the Buddha was pointing to, what the insight that the Buddha had, how to activate that insight, how to initiate that insight in this mind at this time, this place. And it's very easy to sort of circle the teachings, to kind of be a person who's interested in the teachings, but to take responsibility and to investigate and to persist in that investigation. Because we have, you know, naturally some intuition, like I mentioned earlier. And I think in this work, it's really appropriate, like why not? aspire, like to use the image of the Buddha, the idea of the Buddha, the stories of the Buddha as a sort of symbol, a stand-in for what we really want. What do we want? Well, full, complete, unshakable release, release from fear, right? Is there anybody in the room that doesn't want a full, complete, and unshakable release from being afraid, from being tight? from being needy or dependent in any way. I mean, that's for me, and I'm guessing for all of us, it's not a stretch, like in terms of what my imagination can do, because I know what it's like to be afraid and to be tight and to be needy, and to be angry, and to be, you know, all these different afflictive states. I know what that's like. So it's not impossible for me to imagine like, not that. Freedom from that. The abandoning, the putting down that load. Right? I can imagine that. I mean, it would be not that weight. <laughs> you know, not holding the weight of being a frightened, needy, angry, defensive, you know, greedy, stingy human being. It would be not that experience. It's a mystery. 
But I ha- it, it's not like a, it's a mystery I can sort of play with, connect with, right? Because I know what the bound up part of it is. So it's sort of a very engaging contemplation to imagine not that, the putting down of that, the freedom from that, the not being burdened by that. You know, and then, you know, we we don't know if the Buddhist knows what he's talking about. Maybe, you know, some rascal somewhere down the road said, well, let's just make up this story of this guy, you know. He, 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 he. Because all these people will sort of like gaze at their navel or follow their breath, thinking they're going to find some spiritual gold. And boy, won't that be silly of them. Because right? this, the, this is sort of what, why do we hold back, like in our practice? It isn't that, you know, Game of Thrones is that good, or the novel we're reading, or all the things that we do to fill up our time. Why do we hold back? It's, it's some version of, we're not so sure the Buddha knew what he was talking about. I mean, we don't say that out loud, especially those of us who, you know, sort of have drunk the Kool-Aid and... <laughs> Or Buddhists. <coughs> but, uh, but somehow we hold back because we're not sure. and we're, we're afraid of making a fool out of ourselves. Like really going for it. Really like cultivating present moment awareness. You know, not holding back. And you know, in a way, the people who have tasted just the ordinary peace that comes with some continuity of awareness and the ordinary clarity and the ordinary sense of wholeness, the kind of emotional healing that comes with the practice, in a way, it's like you have less of an excuse to not to be holding back, right? Because you've actually caught, have caught the scent of what the practice, what the Buddhist teachings point to. So it's good to have this conversation that we're, you know, this ongoing conversation, big group, small group that we're having in this course on refuge because to some degree it, we need to sort of shake ourselves up and to kind of look at our habits, you know, how we fill up the space of our lives because a lot, not everything we do, of course, but a lot of what we do, we're pretty clear, isn't leading to any kind of true refuge. But we do it nonetheless. We, you know, spend our time, even today. I mean, I caught myself three or four times um, reading things about the news. That I, it's like it occurred to me, like, is this is this helping anybody in any way? Is this adding any value at all? Like, really wanting, you know, I'm sure this is familiar to some of you. Like, really wanting uh, to find out a little bit more about who that shooter was. As if, like, that somehow has something to do with human beings being happier or freer or kinder or... But, like, who is this guy? What was his motivation? I mean, I I get, like, why on that sort of superficial, um, gossipy kind of way that my mind would want to be... want to find that out. I'm not... It's just lawful in a way. 
but we, we have this capacity, this kind of wisdom that can be reflective, like, is it skillful? Like it's understandable that it's the habit of the mind to want to know, but there's enough wisdom in the mind to ask the question every once in a while, like, is it skillful to be obsessed with knowing? Does it help anybody? Does it actually lead to anything of value acting on this desire to know? What's up with this guy? What was the motivation? And it's just like, you know, this is just a, a relatively provocative thing, but I mean, the, the, the whole point of studying the refuge, the refuges for these eight weeks, is so that it has an impact on how we live our lives, so that the activity of our lives is more likely to flow in a direction that leads. I mean, it's, it's, again, I mentioned this, I think, the first week. It's a little, I feel, a little shy or embarrassed to kind of say that leads to absolute, complete, free, full enlightenment or peace or, you know, happiness, right? Because we're so afraid of being a sucker. Like, you know, there's so many self-help books out there. There's so many times we've been promised salvation of one kind or another. And we've been set up, betrayed. So it's appropriate to be skeptical. You know, I think the Buddha would say, yeah. But not skeptical to the point of not doing anything. There's this great teaching. Um, Translated by Andy Olensky, the uh, executive director and senior scholar at the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies for many years. Now I think he's teaching at Wesleyan on the East Coast and also does a lot. I don't know if it's through Tricycle. Maybe it's through Tricycle. He does a lot of online courses that are wonderful if you ever are inspired. But he translated a sutta from the... uh, Where's it from? I think the middle link discourses. I can find it here. Oh, I can't read it because it's shaded, and when I made a copy of it, it, oh, from the middle link discourses, number 95. There it is. I wrote it down. There are five things that may turn out in two different ways here and now. What five? And so the Buddha goes on. Well, faith. Something may well may be well accepted out of faith, yet may be empty, hollow, and false. Or something may be, something else may not be well accepted out of faith, yet may be factual, true, and unmistaken. If a person has faith, then one preserves truth when one says, my faith is thus, but one does not yet come to the definite conclusion only this is true, anything else is wrong, right? So we have faith, we have some confidence that there's something about present moment awareness, something about persisting, going from a superficial present moment awareness to very stable, refined, powerful, unshakable present moment, continuous present moment awareness, right? But I'm not 100% sure but I'm willing to check it out. 
And then the, the sutta, the discourse, goes on about other things related to faith, like approval. Something may be well approved of, yet it may be empty, hollow, or false. Something else may not be well approved of, yet may be factual, true, and unmistaken. If a person approves of something, one preserves truth when one says, my approval is thus, but one does not yet come to the definite conclusion, only this is true, everything else is false. So it's all this that I'm going to go through is just about like when we're investigating, when we're persisting, we keep an open mind because we're aware, we understand that we don't know with certainty. But just because we don't know with certainty, we don't give up. We don't assume, like we're not certain that I can never, this mind can never open to something that's truthful, cannot be clear. Oh yeah, this is true. This is the way it is. And he goes on the same thing with oral tradition, reason, consideration, reflective acceptance of a view. So even having really thought about it and reflected on something in terms of our own experience, right? If a person accepts a view upon reflection, one preserves truth when one says, my acceptance of a view upon reflection is thus, but one does not yet come to the de- definitive conclusion, this, only this is true, Everything else is, anything else is wrong. In this way, there is the preser- preservation of truth, but as yet, there is no discovery of truth. And then the Buddha asks the question, in, w- in what way is there the discovery of truth? Right? And so the next thing the Buddha says, well, you look around, you, you ask the question, is there anybody who n- seems to know anything about truth, like the truth of peace, the truth of the release of suffering, being free from the afflictive states of mind? Well, and then you bump into a book or a talk about the Buddhist teachings where the Buddha says some very definitive things like there is a way, you know, beyond lamentation, beyond sorrow, the unshakable release of the heart. And you think this could be a setup, you know, another person selling snake oil or, you know, but I'll listen, I'll see, right? And then the Buddha says what you should do with a person like that is you should observe them. Are they acting out greed? Are they acting out aversion? Are they acting out of delusion, right? So then you kind of check it out. You kind of orbit. How are they with money? Are they asking for a lot of money? Do they seem greedy about money, right? That's what we do. You know, check out Common Ground. Check out the Buddhist tradition. You know, how, what, how do they deal with money? How are they handling their anger? I was around some teachers in the 80s, you know, and they were pretty charismatic, seemingly pretty wise. But every once in a while, this one teacher in particular would get angry. And I, and you know, I I sort of hung around this organization for a while, but I never kind of dug in because I didn't quite trust (laughs) this person's anger. It's like, what's that about? (laughs) A friend of mine who was also kind of in the organization, just was driving a little too fast along the, the driveway, and she shouldn't have been. I mean, there are kids around and other people around, you know, but the person was in a hurry. But anyway, <laughs> this teacher just got really anger, angry at her. 
and I forget exactly what he said, but something like threatening to kind of kick her out of the organization. And yeah, so it's, it's really appropriate. It's like not wrong to sort of hold back and to observe and to notice like, and to you know, talk to some of the people who have been doing the practice for a while and kind of get a sense like, are they still jerks? Or do they seem to be wiser, kinder, more relaxed, more open, more grounded human beings? Like what seems, you know, it's imperfect, but what seems to be the effect on people who've been around for a while doing the practice, doing sort of following these teachings? So that's what the Buddha says. And then after you've done that checking out, however long it takes, and the Buddha says, filled with faith, then one visits this person, this teacher, pays respects to this teacher, right? So, you know, come to common ground and you listen to the teachings of the Buddha or you pick up your book and you have some respect for your books, for the talks. It's like just in the same way that, you know, if there were like uh, I had a teacher in fifth grade kind of took me under his wings and just was a really powerful influence. And in my mind, you know, when I think of that teacher, I've actually bumped into that teacher, uh, came to Common Ground not that long ago, even after not seeing him for decades. But anyway, it's like I have a lot of gratitude, you know. So I honor that teacher, at least in my mind. I'm really grateful, really respectful. Not that I, he was a perfect human being, right? So it's the same way with our books, our teachers, our Dharma friends, our Dharma center. We treat it with respect, like how we even show up. If there's trash in the yard, it's like, I care about this place. Or if somebody is sort of new and doesn't know what they're up to, I care about this. I'm going to show up. I'm going to take care of it. So we show some respect because it's not because the center or the teachers or the teachings need your respect. No, no, no. You need that devotional. You need that appreciative energy because that you can't really receive, like let it in, unless that respect softens your heart a little bit. Because you're done with the sort of orbiting and checking it out, and now you have enough confidence that there's something here to learn, and you have to soften your heart. You have to be willing to be a student. You have to be devoted. And that devotional energy, you, you need to see it. One, you know, it will look different in each of us, each of our personalities. And again, there, I know there's shadows to this stuff. So, you know, but you don't avoid, you, you don't get anywhere avoiding the risky territory. I mean, it's the same with like intimate relationships. Definitely a lot of shadow around relationships, right? A lot of ways to suffer and intimate relationships. So is the right thing to avoid intimate relationships altogether? No. Or having kids, you know? Some of you have young kids. It's like, yeah, it's, it's not easy being a parent, I'm s- presuming, <laughs> not having been a parent. But there's a lot that we learn and a lot that happens in the process. It's like, oh yeah, life is messy, so I think I'll just commit suicide. You know, or like decide not to be reborn or something weird like that. I mean, clearly that's not the way. So we're observant 
And then when we feel like it's worth the risk, we devote, right? So the first thing is we show some respect. The second thing the Buddha says is we give an ear, we listen, right? We hear, we memorize, right? We learn something, we commit it to memory. Like, oh yeah, that's a nugget, that makes sense. I'm going to remember this, right? These days we don't memorize anything because we got it on our devices. But some of these things are actually worth committing to memory. You know, it doesn't need to be a lot. When when that arises naturally in your mind and you think, I should remember this, then remember it. (laughs) Like write it down and commit it to memory. You know, and it's actually, our minds are amazing at remembering. I mean, it... That just in the last couple hundred years where we've stopped using our memory, but probably 200 years ago and for millions of years, human beings kept so many things in memory. It's just that we needed it to survive. But now, you know, it's like we don't even know how to get around the block. We just punch in the address. <laughs> So you memorize it, and then when you memorize it, the great thing about committing things to memory, then as you're living your life devoted to present moment awareness, when you're awake, when you're present, then connecting with the present moment, that experience, whatever the teaching that sort of reverberates has the same vibration of what's going on in this present moment, it will arise in our mind. That information that teaching will show up simply because we're feeling and what's here, we're aware of what's here. So anything related to what this feels and looks like comes to mind. Those teachings will be right there as if the Buddha is saying, hey honey, you might want to see things in this way. You might want to remember this. Right? That information comes to mind and then we can do the next thing the Buddha Buddha recommends here is to reflect on the teachings in light of our actual experience, right? This contemplation, reflection. It's not just reading and thinking on an intellectual level. The real value of this bringing thought right into the present moment is when the teachings organically arise right with the moment that could use them. And then that's the perfect time to reflect on the teaching of impermanence, of the causes for suffering, on the experience of metta, of loving kindness, right? Is right when there's some moment of experience where that contemplation or that teaching can really illuminate the direct and immediate experience of what that concept, that teaching concept is about. So we reflect. And then uh, examines the meaning. Then when one examines the meaning, one gains a reflective acceptance of those teachings. Right? It goes a little deeper. We're be in the direction of becoming independent because now, having reflected on the teachings and see how they align with our actual experience, see how they illuminate and help the mind understand the underlying nature of the mind more clearly, right? Then the confidence, now the confidence is not so much based on I trust this person, but 
I trust what I'm seeing directly in the experience of this mind, this body and mind. And that brings up zeal. Right? A lot of energy arises because the, the, the mind has a sense of, uh, of really seeing the path in terms of one's own experience. Oh, the Buddha knew what he was talking about. There is a path. It's right here. There is a way that understanding this path of waking up, this path of understanding, seeing things clearly, seeing things as they are, it's right here. It's like the getting the scent, getting a sense, oh yeah, it's right here. Like the Buddha said in his own practice, describing his own awakening process, he described it as, as if someone were to find an old trail in the woods that hasn't been used for years. Some of you have been on these own old lumber trails, right? And you can kind of still find your way. And he says you find this trail and it opens up and there's this old city that nobody has lived in for centuries maybe, right? But it was once a beautiful city with wide boulevards and beautiful parks, right? And this is how the Buddha sees it. Like, and we get that same sense in our own mind, in our own heart, that this is what human beings have been waking up to <coughs> for a long time. The sense of lineage, like, this isn't specific to me. This is like something waiting, waiting. And the mind was just too superficial, too distracted, too busy doing this and that, too full of doubt to ever check it out. And with that zeal, one applies one's will, right? Persists in mindful awareness. One scrutinizes. One is wholehearted. Resolutely striving, you know, being vigilant. We, I don't know why he used that word striving because it kind of evokes this sort of more tight efforting. But it's really about vigilance is another way of that word gets translated or wholeheartedness. Apamada, this uh, not holding back. Like when we have a sense, then we're really willing to apply ourselves. Human beings are not afraid of work. I mean, you just see what human beings do for silly reasons, the kind of work we do. It's just a matter of having a sense of the worthwhileness of the work. Then we're willing to work. Resolutely striving, one realizes with the body, the ultimate truth, and sees it by penetrating it with wisdom, right? So this is insight. And the Buddha says here, in this way there is the discovery of the truth, but as yet there is no final arrival at truth, right? As a famous uh, Korean monk said, Chanul was the name. This is one of the people who brought Zen into Korea way back, I think the 13th century maybe. He said, sudden awakening gradual cultivation, right? So we, we have insight. We get a glimpse of the freedom the Buddhist teachings point to. But it's just like uh, Ajahn Sushito in one of his books that some of us read recently. What was his meditation manual called? The Way of Meditation? Anybody remember that spiral book? What was it? Way of Meditation? Anyway, it, at the end he's talking about somebody in prison and then they're you know trying to get out of prison and 
they get a little pinhole and they see some light coming in, right? So they really persist. And they get to the point where the hole's big enough to stick their head out of the prison cell and look around and see the wide open space, right? Now, they're not dependent on the Buddhist teachings. They know there's something out of the prison cell. But they're not out of the prison yet. But they know what it looks like, right? They know what it smells like. They know it's there. They have no doubt that it's there. But they're still, you know, kind of embedded in a personality with greed, anger, and delusion. But they know that's not the way. Like acting out the greed, anger, delusion is not the way to anything but more suffering. So they persist. And then how do you persist? What is the most helpful way for the final arrival at the truth, the Buddha asks? And it's the same thing that you did before, right? Striving, scrutinizing, applying one's will, zeal, reflective acceptance, examining the meaning, memorizing, hearing the Dharma, giving ear, paying respects, visiting, and faith. The same thing that led to the insight you do repeatedly. You keep doing the same thing and the hole gets bigger. And maybe someday you actually step completely out of the prison, but because of the force of neurotic habit, you decide, that's enough, I'm going back to sleep in the prison cell, right? (laughs) But at least you have the ability to get out, right? Look around, and then someday maybe you don't go back to the prison cell. (laughs) So may that be so. So for the small groups tonight, I thought it would be nice to um, reflect in your small groups about that full range, as I mentioned last week, from not just moments of inspiration, what you talked about in our first small group, but inspiration that then led to the application of your effort. Like you did something about being inspired. You got, you read a book, you heard a good Dharma talk, and you started getting up and meditating, right? Or when you were meditating, you started to start over again when you got distracted. You brought your attention back to your meditation anchor, for example. You persisted. You got interested in the present moment. You persisted. You got interested in how come my mind keeps getting distracted? And you brought some real zeal. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to observe, like, how is it that I get distracted? How do I lose the thread of the present moment? You know? Or why do I avoid sitting in the morning? It's the most important thing in my life, but I don't sit. That's interesting. You know, what's going on? So talking in your small groups, this whole spectrum from being inspired to this verifying what inspired, like checking it out, applying yourself, making effort to moments of realization, insights, like seeing something you haven't seen, and in the seeing something you haven't seen before, it somehow confirms either the teachings you've heard from the Buddha, or it confirms your own sense of path, that there is freedom. Your own confirming what your mind already intuits of freedom, of peace, of release. Right? So just whatever that looks like in your life, these three spaces that have to do with refuge. Moments of being inspired, doing something about that inspiration, that energy of inspiration, applying it, digging in, checking it out, 
looking and getting some result that gives more energy, more inspiration, more application, more result. So just some story from your life or some great doubt you have about this. Put that on the table with your two colleagues. You know, like, I don't believe it. (laughs) Or whatever. (laughs) Because that might be really useful to put out. Like, you may, like in saying that out loud, you may realize, I don't believe that I don't believe it. (laughs) Right? Like, you may realize that I don't believe the doubt. That's just a habit of holding back. Who knows? We'll find out. So let's see, maybe 75 people tonight. So let's count by 25. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.